0: Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 14 through 16, so not very much to cover. And um, many would argue that when they were dividing the Bible into chapter and verses, of course, when it was written, it was not written, and there was no chapter, there was no verses, it just was a letter like you would write. Um, But when they added the chapters and verses, many believe that Hebrews 4.14 should have actually been Hebrews 5 verse 1. Um, just because of the flow of talking about the priesthood. Be that as it may, um, we're going to consider how Jesus is our help in time of need. It would appear that the recipients of this letter, Hebrew-believing Christians, were failing to understand either the significance that Jesus was high priest, or maybe it wasn't even on their radar at all. And this was leaving them feeling like they were missing out on something, that there was an aspect of their their former uh, mode of worship that was not a part of it, and they they missed that. We'll talk more about what a a high priest would have done in just a moment. Uh, But I think there's that same kind of threat that comes into any generation, no matter the culture, no matter the issue, that. Christians have to be aware of and that is there is this threat that makes us think that what we have in Jesus is not enough and we need to hold fast we need to hold uh, tightly to Jesus and that's what we're going to read about is being steadfast in Colossians chapter 2 verse 8 it says beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit According to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. Everything you need for your life, is there's a fullness that is found in Jesus Christ. And for these Hebrews that are being written to in the book that we're in, they were feeling like they were not complete in Christ. So the author, the pastor, he's writing in a way to show them their fullness and the completeness of Jesus. And in this portion, he's going to show them that he is a faithful high priest to them. So the the outline of this passage, just to kind of quickly uh, lay it out, is we're gonna receive an exhortation at the end of verse 14 that is really the anchor of these verses, and it says, hold fast to your confession. That's the overarching theme. And he's gonna add some other truths that support why we should hold fast, remain uh, steadfast in Christ Jesus. He's going to, at the beginning of chapter, uh, beginning of verse 14, he's gonna talk about how Jesus has gone into the heavens. And then in verse 16, he's going to talk about how we have access to Jesus in that throne room. So he's going to talk about this access and this mediation that the Lord um, has done for us and is in heaven. But in verse 15, he's going to talk about what Jesus did for us while he was on earth and how he served as a faithful high priest. And so we'll find these exhortations, uh, this exhortation, singular exhortation, and the reason why we ought to hold fast. And that's because Jesus is our, our faithful high priest. Again, we don't have the other line uh, of the conversation in the book of Hebrews. We don't know exactly what they're thinking or saying or feeling. But at the very least, the pastor here feels like you need to understand that Jesus is your faithful high priest because when you do that, that's going to help you hold fast. That's going to help you stand fast. Let's read our our passage this morning. Uh, Hebrews 4, and we'll pick up at verse 14. Seeing then that we have a... Great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. So that is the anchor of these verses. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So I want to begin by looking at that last phrase, the exhortation of verse 14, hold fast our confession. That is, don't move from that place where you made a statement of belief and trust in Jesus Christ. And wherever that point was where you are most developed and most on fire, most steadfast in your faith, don't move from that that spot. Stay in the place of being on fire for Jesus. Stay in that place of of running hard after him. So it does raise the question is, am I holding fast? Am I steadfast? Can I look at a time in my Christian life and experience where I would say, you know what, I used to be more on fire for Jesus I used to be more passionate in my, my zeal for serving him. I was, I was, there was a time where I was hungrier for his word, and, and, I, and I just I, I desired true, godly fellowship more than ever. But you know, those things don't seem to be so much a passion in my life anymore. Well, then you're, you, you've moved from that place of being steadfast, and the Lord would lovingly and kindly call you back to that spot and to hold that ground until the day he returns for you or you go to be with him. As Christians, we've made a commitment to follow him, haven't we? We've made that commitment that I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. I'm going to run hard after him. And we've made that commitment. We've made that confession. Nobody forced us. Nobody, nobody made us do that. Nobody can make you do that. A true commitment to Jesus Christ is when we respond to the love of Christ and we commit ourselves to following him. And so nobody makes you do that. That's something you did of your own will. But our commitment was, we'll take up that cross and follow you. We're willing to deny ourselves. We're willing to go through difficulty and hardship to follow you, Jesus, because we think you're worthy of being followed. You have the goods. You have the answers to life. And so I'm going to follow you. And so we made that commitment. And we are glad to be servants and to give ourselves to the work of the kingdom And we are zealously following him, saying, I will do this until you return. But today, where do we stand? We see many, many people turning away from the Lord. And that is not a statement about Jesus. That's a statement about them. Jesus does not need us. Jesus calls us to himself. He wants us to have that grace and that relationship. But Jesus is not established in his person or made great because we follow him. He is great. And and so it's not a statement about the Lord. It's a statement about us. But many people are turning their back on the Lord. And they're looking, they're saying, I don't know, I think I need to go and make a change. I need to make a shift. Just like these believers were thinking. Now for them, the shift was, I want to go back to what I used to do. I want to go back to you know going into the temple and having a high priest and offering up all those sacrifices. They had Christ who was the fullness of all of those things and he fulfilled the sacrifices and so they that was no longer an opportunity. What was so beautiful and perfect in under the old covenant of bringing sacrifices and having a high priest has now passed away. The greater has come. So while at one point in time it was the exact thing to do, today, if you were to go back to it, you're going back to something that no longer is effective. It no longer has the power that it does. And so, maybe for you, you're thinking about going back to something you had before. Some old way in which you used to live and walk. And the Lord would say, hold fast. Hold your ground. We read about holding fast our confession, but what is our confession? And so I, I wrote out a, a confession. I encourage you maybe to do the same, as to sit down and say, oh, if I'm to hold fast my confession, what is my confession? So this is what I wrote down. Jesus Christ is the Son of God, sent from the Father to save mankind. And fulfilling this mission, Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose again on the third day for our justification. We await his coming. That we might forever live with him in heaven. There is no other hope for salvation apart from belief in the finished work of Jesus. He alone forgives sins and gives eternal life. We follow and serve Jesus in holiness and fervent zeal for his kingdom purposes. That's, now when you first got saved, you probably couldn't have wrote, wrote that out. But it wasn't many days. It wasn't many days. It wasn't many weeks before all of those things came into focus. Because it, these are not hidden truths. These are the, this is the stuff that's lying right on the top of, of our faith. He is the son of God. He came to seek and save the lost. He died, he rose from the dead, he's coming again and I need to follow him in holiness and zeal. That's my confession, that's your confession. Hold fast to it and don't let anything or anyone move you off of that spot. Not your job, not your family, not your pleasure, not your hurt. Hold fast. Understand we daily make decisions to hold fast to Jesus. I don't think in one day it's all going to unravel or in one day we're gonna scale a peak that we've never scaled. But day by day as we follow and make a confession, we're heading in a direction with the Lord. Or if we are moving away from that, we're heading into a dark place And we need to be prepared. But how do we hold fast? Let us hold fast our confession. Now he's gonna point out three truths about Jesus (coughs) that he believed would help motivate these believers to be true in their faith to the Lord. But I wanna consider some other scriptures before we get to that, four other scriptures that speak of steadfastness. Number one is in 1 Peter 5, 9. And that is, we must resist Satan if we're going to be steadfast. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. We have an enemy, we have a foe, his name is Satan, he is a deceiver, and he is out to lead you astray and to lead you away from the Lord. That's his goal, that's his mission. He wants to undermine the salvation process that God has implemented in his people. He couldn't stop him from dying on the cross or rising from the dead. And so he throws his effort tirelessly at bringing people to a place that they would deny the salvation that they've received in the Lord. But you got to resist him. you got to stand against him. you got to fight a little. you got to be willing to shake some things off and say, no, I'm not going to agree with that. No, I don't believe that. Have you noticed that the world is not afraid to say no? To things they believe in, in their, when somebody's trying to push them and move them to another spot? H- have you noticed that they can be stubborn about their way of life, their philosophy, the, the, the way in which they, they seek to, you know, conduct themselves? Have you ever talked to them and said, hey, I think what you're doing is wrong and you ought to move? Have you felt the resistance that they have? And yet they do that not knowing who Christ is. If they do that, how much more ought we to be willing to stand fast? I think we need, you know, a little bit of backbone in Christ, not in your own flesh, not not raw human bravado, but we need to be willing to stand up and say, no, I'm not going to deny Jesus. No, I'm not going to agree. I can't agree with that. You're asking me to deny my faith and my beliefs and the way I've lived my entire life. You're asking me to wad up my whole life and throw it down the trash. What gives you the right to ask me to do that? They have no problem saying that to us, and I believe we can say with grace and truth. It's like, I will not be moved away from my faith in Jesus Christ. Not in a hundred years. Not in a hundred attempts of you will I ever be moved. I remember I was, uh, man, how old? I was probably 20 years old. I was working at Hertz Rent-A-Car there in Anaheim, California, and this guy, um, so I was a young guy there, and um they found out that I wanted I was gonna go be a missionary, I wanted to be a pastor. And so they had all these questions, all these people asking questions all the time. It was wonderful, great witnessing opportunity. And this one guy would come in and he used to be a pastor, he was still an ordained pastor, and they said to me, Hey, this guy's a this guy's you know, gonna be a pastor. And he just went off on a whole rant of of expletives and um and looked at me and he says, he goes, what do you think about that? I said, well, I mean, I, I think that you just cussed a whole lot, I don't even remember what I said, but I was just like, whatever. And he goes, well, how does that affect you? And I said, that does not affect me. It did not affect me. I said, yeah, I hear what you're saying. He says, before you leave here, I'll have you cussing just like me. And I said, that'll never happen. I, I didn't have any, any problem saying that'll never happen. And of course, all these older ladies began to stick up for me, and I'm like, no, oh, I'm okay, I'm okay. <laughs> you know? I said, you cussing does not make me want to deny Jesus. I don't know what happened in your life that caused you to deny Jesus and be where you are. I said, but that will never happen to me because I'm going to remain steadfast. And we need to be willing to stand, not cower and bend to what everybody has to say. Resist. Sometimes Satan comes directly at us, and sometimes he comes through the avenue of people. Secondly, 1 Corinthians 15, 58 tells us a steadfast life will abound in the work of the Lord. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We should be a people that are steadfast, Doing the work of the Lord, because it matters. Doing the work of the Lord is something that will matter for all of eternity. And so that should be what consumes us. Find out what the Lord wants you to do and give yourself entirely to that effort and to that work. Number three, a steadfast heart is a worshiping heart. Psalm 57.7, my heart is steadfast. Oh God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise. I think this is kind of like a barometer into our heart. It's a barometer of our steadfastness. Because when you are willing to worship, and there's an overflow of worship, I should say, rather than a willingness. When there's an overflow of worship and praise that's coming from your life, it tells you that you're connected with Jesus that you, you're fellowshipping with him. But when praise and worship and adoration of the Lord just begins to feel like old, dry, crusty bread, that's telling you something. That is telling you something about where you are in your walk with Jesus. Because to be close to Jesus is to praise and it is to worship. Colossians 1.23 says, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard. What is the hope of the gospel? Well, of course, that Jesus died and rose from the dead, but he's coming back for us. There's a hope that we have a steadfast heart, will be one that is looking for the return of Jesus Christ. And we'll be hoping, and we'll be clinging to the Lord And we don't know the day, we don't know the hour, we don't know what time he's gonna come back, but we know he's true, we know he's a man of his word, so he is going to come back. Ah, yeah, but there's people been saying that for a long time, yeah, they've been saying it for a long time, but Jesus has been saving people for a longer time, and he's not done saving people he doesn't want anybody to perish. He doesn't want anybody to be outside of this salvation. So he waits and he tarries. Yeah, but you know, people said that Jesus was going to come back in the 70s. He didn't come back in the 80s. Shame on them. They shouldn't have said that. Well, people said that, you know, this thing and this event was going to take place. So Jesus was, you know, his, he had to be back within six months. Well, shame on them. They shouldn't have said that. They shouldn't do that. We don't know when he's coming back, but we know that he's coming back. And he may come back in our lifetime, but you're definitely going to go to him one day. You're definitely going to be with him. So allow this hope of heaven to keep you steadfast. So these are four things I think that help or or speak of the kind of steadfastness that we need to have. Now back to our text there in Hebrews chapter four. We got three points and we'll wrap it up. Three points about why we should hold fast from the text itself. The first one comes at the beginning of verse 14. So we kind of jumped to the end of verse 14 and, and got that main exhortation of let us hold fast. But, but there's a point that he makes before that's related to why we should hold fast. So point number one, seeing then that we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast. So we have a high priest who is mediated for us. We have one that is passed through. Once a year on the day of atonement, the high priest through the Levitical offertory system would go in with the blood of his sacrifice and would sprinkle the blood on the the, the lid of the, the Ark of the Covenant, which is called the mercy seat, to atone for the sins of the nation. But in order to get into that room where the Ark of the Covenant was, this is a small room, he would have to pass through that veil, right? He, it, was, it was two chambers, a larger chamber and a smaller chamber. And only one man once a year could go into that inner chamber. And he would pass through a thick veil and would come to that. And that's what the priest, according to Aaron, would do. But that's not what your high priest has done. Your high p- priest has passed through what? The heavens. Right into not a model Not something that's made from the blueprint of of the temple in heaven, but he went, Jesus went into heaven itself and there mediated for us. And he serves as a high priest to this very day for us. A high priest was a mediator. A high priest was one that would go and represent the people to God and come back and represent God to the people. But there's no man that does that today. There's only one person who does that, and his name is Jesus. Paul wrote about that, 1 Timothy 2, 5 through 6. For there is one God (coughs) and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. You've got a mediator. You have somebody that is in heaven and is mediating on your behalf. (coughs) First John two, one through two. Excuse me while I get a drink. It says, My little children, these things I have I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate. You've got a lawyer, you've got a mediator with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and He Himself is our propitiation. Actually, if you follow this through from the uh, Old Testament Greek uh, texts um, and you come on through, the word for propitiation here would actually be mercy seat. So we've talked about this in the past, but just a reminder. And he himself is a propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. You have somebody that's gone ahead of you and he is there for you. You know You're going, when you leave this world, into an unknown realm. I don't mean we don't know where we're going. I'm saying, you've never been there before. I've never been there before. We have a lot about heaven, and I think by the spirit when we get there, there's gonna be a whole lot that's familiar. But you know, I'm one of those guys, now some of you don't even, you can't even relate to what I'm about to say. You've never once had this emotion in your life. But I don't like to walk into new situations. I don't like to do that. Now, that's kind of interesting with all the things that I do, but that's not my preferred place to go. Some of you, you, you're like, whatever, we'll just go. It doesn't matter. They'll love us. They love me. Why wouldn't they like me? I, I'm not thinking that. I'm like, I don't want to intrude. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to do the wrong. Do they really know that I'm coming? I hope they really know that I'm coming. I told them I was coming. Did you tell them I was coming? I mean, that, these are the thoughts that are going, can anybody relate to that? Okay, yeah, a few, a lot of you. Some of you're like, "I have no idea. Why, why bother? I don't know. I just inject me with you, and I'll be fine with that then." But you're going to go into heaven and you've never been there before. You don't know the protocol. You don't know how to enter in. you don't know what you say. You don't know what you do next. And yet you have somebody that's going to be there for you, though. You have a mediator. You have a high priest. You have an advocate that's waiting for you to walk through the door. He's passed through the heavens. And so when you go there, you will come and you will meet with Jesus. I've done a ton of traveling in my life. And many, many times I've gotten off the plane and I'm looking for somebody holding up a sign that says my name on it, Troy Warner. And when I'm looking for that person and I see my name, there's always a sense of, ah, Yes. I'm gonna sleep somewhere safe tonight, you know? I'm gonna, this is working out well. But, but back in 93, it probably was 93, could've been 94, uh, Thomas Powell, myself actually, um, from Virginia Beach, we went over to and We landed at the airport, the International Airport, which was not much to speak of back then. And when we walked off the plane and we came out to get our bags, it was snowing inside the airport. There was no roof. I mean like imagine a roof this big and it's just not there. And that was it. And so and we are coming loaded with money and all kinds of supplies for the missionaries. And um, I think everybody looked at us and realized that's money right there. Because everybody's like can I help you? Can I help you? Can I help you? I'm like no 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 no. Um, But there was nobody holding up the sign. The guy that was supposed to meet us was not there. And so Uh, You know, we're waiting an hour, we're waiting two hours, we're sitting on our stuff, we're guarding it, there's dogs walking through the airport. It was just like this weird situation, and and, you know, Tom's like, Troy, what are we going to do if he doesn't show up? I'm like, I have no idea. We'll figure it out. And eventually, I I paid somebody a lot of money to use their cell phone, I called this guy, and he's like, I'll be there in about an hour. The car broke down, this thing happened, he finally showed up. That was kind of nerve-wracking for those hours of not knowing, did we miscommunicate? What's happening? You know, when you get to heaven, your mediator, your Savior Jesus is going to be right there. And he's going to welcome you if you're in Christ Jesus. And so... He writes to them and he says, yeah, you have a high priest through the Levitical order and he had passed through the veil, but you've got a great high priest who's passed through the heavens and he's in the throne room of God on your behalf. Secondly, our high priest understands us. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So, I mean, you know, Aaron or Whoever that priest would have been was human. They could understand what it was like to be human. They could understand what it was like to uh, uh, have needs. And they would go and they'd represent God. And there was a lot of comfort that they found in that. But he says, well, but you've got a high priest. And remember, he's Jesus. He was born in Bethlehem. He took on human nature. And, and so he, he understands. He can sympathize. He understands what you're going through. Because Jesus was tempted. Jesus was tried in his earthly life like you and like me, but without sin. Now, for those of you that are thinking about this, there are theological terms that are called peccable and impeccable. Impeccable means that Jesus um, did not sin and could not sin because he was the son of God. To have the humanity, and you have God's nature, and they were blended together into a, the God-man. And so, this question is, could he, could he have sinned? We know he was tempted, but could have he sinned? I, I would say, he was impeccable, he could not. Others, very few, would say, oh no, he's peccable. He could have sinned, but he didn't sin. And the the debate is kind of centers around the idea, well, if he could have sinned, then he really can relate to us in a greater way. But I don't think that that is necessary to be the case. If I was a miner and I found this big chunk of earth that I believe there was all kinds of valuable uh, metal in, and I believe there's, let say, it's gold or silver, but it's just encased in all of this stuff. I've got to take that. and I've got to put it through the test. I've got to put it through the fire. I've got to melt it down. I've got to let the heat, you know, get it to the melting point. And then you remove the drops and eventually you end up with that, that precious metal. And so the testing It heats it up. But if you were to take a pure piece of metal and you were to throw it into that same fire, there's no dross is going to come up. But it's still a real testing. It's still a real fire. And so Jesus did go through real testing and he went through a real fire. He knows what it's like to be tempted by Satan. He knows what it's like to lose a loved one. He knows what it's like to have material needs. He knows what it's like to be rejected. He knows what it's like to suffer physically, and he knows what it's like to face death and die and to be really worried about it. His soul was vexed unto death, we read in the scriptures. Jesus can relate to you. You know, Jesus, did he, did he endure every form and every type of temptation? No, but he endured Temptation so that he can relate to us in any of our temptations. And I would argue that when Jesus went through temptation and trials, there was an intensity and a darkness and a wickedness behind it, unparalleled to anything we've ever faced. That he was tried to the utmost because he was the son of God. And he was being... No, uh, tempted by Satan. I doubt any of us have ever been tempted by Satan. Our own flesh, the world, some underling of Satan. But I doubt very few of us have really dealt with Satan. But when Jesus, we know when he was being tempted, he was being tempted by Satan himself. And it was the best that he had to offer to try to bring somebody down. So Jesus fully gets it. He fully understands what you are going through. Psalm 103, verses 13 and 14 says, As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. I love that verse 14. I find so much comfort in the fact that I don't surprise Jesus. My needs, my frame, the weakness of who I am does not surprise him. Now, if I sin, that disappoints him, but he's never surprised by it. He understands what man is made of. He understands you, your weaknesses and your strengths, and he calls us to holiness, but he also pities us. He has mercy upon us, and that is a beautiful thing, and that leads us into our last point, verse 16. Why should we hold fast? Well, he's passed through the heavens. He totally understands what you're going through, and he's there as one you can pray to. But in verse 16, we see that our high priest invites us into his throne room where we can find help in our time of need. Let us, therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is one of the greatest verses of Scripture, I think. Therefore, let us come boldly. Therefore, yeah, you've got a high priest that gets you. You have a high priest that understands you. You have a high priest that sympathizes with you. Therefore, come boldly, not sheepishly, not as if you don't belong, but to come boldly into the throne room of grace, that place he's passed through the heavens. Come to him. And as you come to him, You're coming into a a realm of grace. You're coming into a scene of grace, (coughs) a throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. What an invitation. You will never find a greater invitation in this world by anyone ever. He invites you to come in your fallenness. He invites you to come in your brokenness. He invites you to come when you have sinned and you need mercy. You see, it's not the one who's just had a successful Christian experience that needs mercy. It's the one who's fallen. It's the one who's missed the mark. Grace is needed for those that are weak. Grace is needed for those who can't get it done on their own. And the Lord says, "Why well, want you to come boldly Because I am your high priest who's passed through the heavens, who while on earth, though, understands what it's like to go through difficulty and hardship. And I want you to come and ask me for help. Now, it's good to go to a brother or sister and ask them to help, but it's better to go to Jesus. And maybe this is one of the reasons why everybody you've been reaching out to lately seems to be preoccupied, busy, they changed their phone number, you know, your email went into their spam folder. Um, all of these things. <coughs> where are all my friends? And the Lord's like, yeah, you know what? I just want you to come to me. And so where you feel like nobody's been around there for you, it's because I'm trying to get you to come into my throne room. I want to spend a little time with you. I want to help you out. And this is our God. I read a little bit from Psalm 103, but I want to, I want to read it one more time. we got two more verses to read, and we're going to wrap it up. Psalm 103, verses 11 through 18 says, For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And we read these two verses. As the father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. The wind passes over it, and it is gone. And his place remembers it no more. That's what we're like. Our lives are brief. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness, to children's children, to such as keep his covenant, and those who remember his commandments to do them. So we're, we're temporary, we pass through quickly, but this everlasting God shows us everlasting mercy. You know, as high as the heavens, how high are those heavens, by the way? We haven't figured out that yet. Oh, that's good news then, because that's a lot of mercy. As far as the east is the west, you can't measure that distance. You can measure north and south, but you can't measure east and west. You just go forever in either direction. And this is how the Lord is with us. So as we come to him, he is not this angry maker in heaven that's ready to squash the next person that comes in. He's ready to grace the next person that comes in. He's ready to help. Yeah, I would love to do that, but you know what? I really blew it. Oh, you mean you sinned? Oh, I sinned, yeah. So you need mercy? Yes. So you need grace? Well, yeah. Then you better come to Jesus. You need to come to him, and he will show you that grace, and he will show you that mercy. Ephesians 2, 14 through 18 talks about how we have been made one in Christ, and it comes to this verse 16. It says that we, he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross. Thereby putting to death the enmity. He came and preached to peace to you who are far off and to those who are near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. You have access to the Father in heaven through Jesus Christ. You can't get better connected than that. Forget LinkedIn. You've got Jesus, right? I mean, you are as connected as you could possibly be. But here's what we fail to do. We, we so often fail to go into this throne room and to go boldly and say, oh, Jesus, I need your mercy and I need your grace. I need help. How often do you need this mercy? How often do you need this grace and help? Every day of your life. The problem is some of us think that we don't need it, but we do. And that's how we will close. Remember, I read from Colossians in the beginning, let no one deceive you with empty philosophy. He was writing to the Colossians and the Laodiceans. The Laodiceans are written to later in history in the book of Revelation, the church of Laodicea. This was a lukewarm church. That's probably how you would remember them. Jesus said, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth because you're neither cold nor hot. But what was it that Jesus found so offensive about them? Here it is. They said they had need of nothing. They were self-sufficient. They were well-off financially. They had great medical care. They had designer clothes to wear. And they said, we've got it. We don't need anything. And Jesus says, I think differently You're poor, you're miserable, you're blind, and you're naked. Now, they they would have said that they had the best clothes, that they had the best medical care, and that they were wealthy. And Jesus says, yeah, in the physical, you have that. But in the spiritual, you're a mess, and you need me. And that is true today for each and every one of us, that we need to come to Jesus. We need to hold fast our confession. Some of the things that help us to do that, or just knowing who he is and what he's done for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you've got a wonderful plan of grace laid out and that all of us have access to come into that throne room because of the cross. You made a way. Lord, you tore that veil in two from top to bottom and that veil was your flesh. You are ripped apart that we might pass through you into this grace. I pray, Lord, you would save today. Lord, I pray that you would remind our hearts that we have a place with you, that we can boldly come. And I just, while we're praying, listen, if you've never come to Jesus Christ because you thought there was not enough mercy or you thought there was not enough grace, good news, there is. And you can come to him today. But you got to come. He's not going to put you in headlock and drag you into this throne room. You've got to come on your own. You've got to make a confession yourself. Just as I spoke of the confession that I have made based upon the word of God, you've got to make that as well. You've got to confess. I need you, Jesus. I'm ready to follow you. I'm ready to take up that cross. Deny myself. Oh, Jesus loves you. And he has made the way. The access is right in front of you at this very moment. But you've got to come through Jesus. I don't know if I need him. Oh, you need him. You need him desperately. What are you going to do when you pass from this life? Who's going to be holding up your name when you pass from this life? You, got, you have the opportunity to have an advocate in heaven ready to meet you and welcome you but you gotta come to him now. You gotta make up that prayer and that decision now. So pray and receive Christ. But maybe you've done that in the past, and it isn't a matter of coming to Jesus. It's a matter of coming back to Jesus, because you allowed many things to knock you off course, and you didn't stand up straight when the wind blew. You crumpled. I mean, you just folded up through the temptation and through the pressure of other people. You gave in to the pressure of other people, people who would have never given in to the pressure that you would have asked of them to follow Jesus. In Christ, we are better than that. We can stand fast. And so, return to him. Cling to his grace. Receive that help to stand. And maybe it's not one of those two things. It's just that you blew it this week. And now you're thinking, well, I'm not going to be able to come to Jesus and ask him for those things I have need of now. Why? You think if you were good, you could earn favor and ask? Because he's saying, come and ask when you're all messed up. When you need mercy, grace, and help. Come right now and ask Jesus for help out of that jam that you created. Confess it and look for grace. Thank you, Lord. You are kind. You are gentle. You are true. And you are unchanging. Lord, we want to follow you. We want to stand fast. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.